0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thank you so much for listening. My guest today is Eric Rosen from the Point Sky website. Uh, We got a lot of show to get to, so I want to blast through the announcements real quick. As always, go to our website, TravelTalesPodcast.com. Check out stories, videos, photos, and most of all, check out our links to our social media Facebook. Go there. Give us a like. There are links to Twitter. There are links to Instagram, LinkedIn, and iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And if you're going to iTunes, why not give us a good rating, huh? Please. That would be nice. Give us a nice rating. Moves us up in the rankings. Helps people find the show. And that's always a good thing. I've been trading emails with Eric Rosend for a little over a year now. I got his information through Melanie Wynn Waldman, who was on the show last year. She's a travel writer, and those two are good friends. But he was uh, never in town, as you can imagine. A guy who writes about travel was not in town that much. But I've always been an admirer of the website, the Points Guy. And it's a really helpful site if you've ever tried to get uh, credit cards for miles or if you're involved in hotel points programs. You should be in all these, by the way. And we talk about all that, so I'm not going to go over what we're going to talk about in the conversation. But I think there's a lot of uh, great information, and I got to learn more about Eric Super nice guy, and I hope you enjoy it. So please welcome Eric Rosen. Enjoy. Oh, I want to get away. I'm here with Eric Rosen, the points guy. So, to be clear, you are not the points guy. You are one of the points guys, right? That
1: is correct. The points guy himself is a person named Brian Kelly, and he's about six foot seven, which means he got into the <laughs> points game specifically so he could fly business class and not be crammed into an econ- uh, economy seat. I'm five foot eight, so I can fly in whatever. See, I envy you <laughs> when I fly. It's still pretty cramped, you know? (laughs) know? (laughs) The state of airline uh, seats today is really just one of woe, I I think.
0: (laughs) So how did Brian
1: find you? Uh, He was actually dating a good friend of mine, uh, as a matter of fact, (laughs) and we sort of joked that he got me in the breakup, even though we're all still friends. (laughs) Um, But I was a travel writer already at the time, and I was just chatting with them. Um, They kept coming out to L.A. weekend after weekend, flying business class, first class on Delta, and um, staying in these huge suites at, like, the SLS Hotel, the Andaz Hotel, and we were floating around in the pool one afternoon at the Andaz, and I said, you've got to tell me what you do. I know what you do for a living. How are you in a suite, and how are you flying first class every (laughs) weekend? And he sort of slyly admitted to me that he was uh, basically what amounts to a a points wizard, um, and explained some of his strategies and stuff. So I started quoting him in some of my stories, um, and we started collaborating on some stuff. And when he decided to take the blog full time, he he needed some help, and I was
0: (laughs) more than happy to help out. (laughs) So you were writing for like uh, the were you doing stuff for the L.A. Times and I had
1: written a few things for an insert in the L.A. Times called Brand X uh, that has since. Uh, gone the way of the dodo, but uh, Hotel Chatter and Jaunted, which are two Condé Nast sites, uh, Just Lux, which is a luxury portal, Low Fares on the other end of the spectrum, and a bunch of different magazines and uh, and websites all over the place, really.
0: But you were also. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you were like uh, wine and uh, food and was that was your Absolutely. I got started
1: by writing about restaurant reviews in Los Angeles for LA.com and then um, I made sort of a big trip out of a friend's wedding uh, in Napa. I decided to spend two weeks up there just sort of learning all I could about wine and took further opportunities to go to France and Germany and Austria and Argentina uh, to spend some time learning about wines from there as well and just sort of got into the wine writing. I think it was unusual to have someone under about sixty doing some wine writing <laughs> and writing for people who weren't necessarily collectors or connoisseurs, but people who wanted to have that component to a trip that they took.
0: So right, I did a a, a wine travel show pilot that I produced and hosted as well. But they but they would always ask me when we tried to go shop it. Oh, are you a sommelier? Are you mm-hmm. an expert? So I mean, and I didn't have that. I mean, I liked it. I know, and I knew enough. It was more about the travel, mm-hmm. not so much the wine. So, did you run into that when you were writing about it? It's like, who's who this I, guy to tell us about our wine?
1: I'll tell you what I ran into. Actually, you see me, but you're, I know your listeners can't. <laughs> but I'm I'm a, a kind of young looking. I'm 33 right now. But when I first started, yeah, you started, look 16. Yeah, but when I first started writing about wine, I was 27, and would get carded at the wineries <laughs> that I was going to meet the winemaker at and yeah. stuff like that. So there were some challenges involved. The thing that I found uh, that was that also. Uh, was a successful strategy for me was just being completely guileless about it and saying, I don't know that much about wine yet. I'm here to learn. Please tell me, rather than, uh, rather than coming in and saying, oh, I know everything about your vineyards and the slopes and all that sort of stuff. Um, and especially because I wasn't writing for wine-specific publications, it was more about that travel component. It's a lot easier um, to sell yourself as a writer um,
0: who is learning along with the reader and passing along some of those interesting tidbits, really. So before we get to the points guy and uh, tips and stuff like that, because I I know you have to do that all the time, <laughs> and I just saw you at the LA Travel Show, and we have a mutual friend in Melanie Wynn who was here last year, mm-hmm. and uh, I've been trying to track you down ever since. Sorry. <laughs> You've been a busy guy. You're never here. That um, makes two of us listen. <laughs> uh, so we'll get to like tips and stuff because I know you're bored talking about all that never
1: stuff. <laughs> but <laughs> you're gonna lose me my job <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll get we'll get to that because when i when i told some friends of mine who are big travelers that i was talking to you they're like oh ask him this ask him all this great so i'm sure you get that all the time but uh let's talk about you first okay um you're an East Coast guy. Were you? No, I'm from San Diego originally. Oh, okay, a local.
1: So, yeah, exactly. And though you know, I moved around a lot in high school, and then went to college out on the East Coast and spent some years there, but then came back.
0: Okay, so your family big travelers or? No?
1: Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, my parents. I always, I always wanted to travel. And my parents always indulged that. So I remember uh, my first trip to Mexico was when I was quite small basically i was on a plane when i was 6 months old to hawaii that sort of thing <laughs> uh my parents took us all to israel when i was 8 my mom took me on a trip to southeast asia for 2 weeks when i was 11 like every opportunity i've been given to travel so it's it's always been so something. they they planted that
0: seed in you that It was encouraged that, you know, you should see as much as you can.
1: Yes. Well, and uh, they joke that they created a monster because then they're like, (laughs) we haven't seen you in four months. (laughs) Where have you been?
0: (laughs) Did you do the big after college, like, I'm going to backpack around and...
1: Do you know, I was a little bit more focused than that. First of all, I had to find a job. It was right after, uh, it was about a year after September 11th. So the economy Mm -hmm. for new graduates was still a little bit shaky. And um, I just had to throw everything I had into getting a job. But then uh, I worked in New York for a couple of years in book publishing, and then decided I would move out to LA. And at that point, at uh, 2425, I decided to take a three month trip to Europe. Um, And it Though I carried a backpack, it wasn't quite backpacking <laughs> because I was a little older than your average hosteler. And so though I did stay in a couple of hostels, I, I always felt so self-conscious because people would be inviting me down for ramen or down to the Irish pub in any city ever. Yeah, um, And instead, I'd have to... Say something like, Oh, well, yeah, I'm how's actually, the wine list down yeah, there? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm actually going out for this little prefix menu at this restaurant I read about, and then I have to get to the opera by eight when it starts. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. How can I hang my tux here in the hospital? Exactly.
1: <laughs> Not quite that. I definitely was like ha- rocking a shaggy Prince Valiant haircut right, at right. the time, but, um, it, it, you know, showing up to the Royal Danish. Uh, opera House and sitting about ten feet away from the Queen while wearing
0: a hoodie and yeah. like New Balance sneakers. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, In your Teva sandals. Exactly.
1: There. You take never.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was three months. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that must have been a you know a great thing for you.
1: It was amazing, and it was definitely it was like. Planned down to the minute almost, but it was it was. That's
0: good and bad, though. I mean, you want a little flexibility. You?
1: Absolutely, and that's what I sort of started to get more comfortable with. So that's what that trip was good for—the ability to be able to plan ahead of time and really, uh, and really make sure I saw the things I wanted to see, but yet also chill out a little bit. <laughs> right, <laughs> and, right. and if you're having fun doing something, just enjoy it. Skip the next thing, you know.
0: Well, after nine eleven, it was amazing how much the uh, travel industry just switched mm-hmm. it just like everything changed really i mean i know that's a cliche th- thing to say but traveling especially and flying became 10 times more difficult yep and you know you and i can we remember the pre you know nine eleven. it was just it was so much easier mm-hmm. just getting through the airports and everything else and there was more flights and mm-hmm. Remember Open flights when there was like empty seats all over the place. Yes
1: well, speaking of 9/11 I flew to France <laughs> three weeks after it, and I think I was one of 20 people aboard a 777: Oh wow and it was just uh, and then coming <laughs> back the following week on a 747, maybe maybe 80 to 100 people total on a plane built for about 450 oh, man. passengers. so I still couldn't get up into b- business class but <laughs> okay. <laughs> but
0: you could lay across an yeah, entire row that exactly <laughs> So were you into the uh, the point? Systems then, and were you into rewards?
1: Well, you know, this was actually when whenever I have a transitional period, I turn to travel. Um, so I came back, I came out to LA and was working in film production, like everybody else, uh, and then had the chance to go on a little hiatus, which is exactly what I needed. It was getting a little burned out. So uh, before all this came to pass, I was looking at my mileage balances and decided I'd like to go to South America for a month and go travel around Argentina and Uruguay and Chile. And I looked, and I discovered that American had these off-peak saver awards for forty thousand miles. I could go from Los Angeles to New York, spend a week there, go to a friend's wedding. Um, because they have those, you can have a free stopover in an international gateway in North America, which we just posted on yesterday on the points <laughs> guys. As a matter of fact, it's an old trick. And then down, so I've to, used this trick. It's fantastic, it's great. and it's two trips for the price of one, yeah. basically. And then you, uh, then I went down to uh, Buenos Aires bought a few cheap flights within South America, and flew directly back to Los Angeles about a month later, off the grand total
0: of 40,000 miles and $52.
1: So yes, I was definitely yeah. into points
0: at the time. Yeah, and I, I described this to people because this is airing while I'm in Africa. And I used 40,000 miles on United for an off-peak fare to get there, three flights to Nairobi. Mm-hmm. And on the way back, I'm buying business class Sixty thousand miles, fantastic! Um, from Zanzibar. Oh wow! And it was like forty hours of travel or something <laughs> yeah. coming back, but for the grand total of seventy-five dollars in fees, it's amazing. And oh. I was telling people that there's no way I could do this trip without miles. Yep. The flight back, business class, mm-hmm. priced out on United. They said I could. You can. You know how they say you you're free to purchase this if you want eight thousand dollars (laughs) yep so that's a good deal we always it it definitely
1: is and we always have to talk about the trade-off like is anyone really going to pay eight thousand dollars for that one way trip but if that's the market price that's sort of how you've got to do your valuation uh the thing is well good for you for booking that because as you know united is about to undergo a major devaluation for its award chart so everyone is scrambling to put their miles to use right now
0: so by devaluation that means all the the basic rates will go up
1: a lot of their awards you know if you're flying to Domestically on United, you won't really have a huge. Uh, you won't see. It'll much still be twenty five thousand yes, round trip. exactly. Um, some rates to Hawaii are changing, but uh, if you're flying internationally in pretty much any class. Um, but mostly those premium classes, you're seeing huge increases in the mileage requirements. And if you want to fly partners uh, such as Lufthansa or Singapore or ANA, all those fantastic. Yeah, I'm doing Turkish
0: Air on the way up.
1: Great, or Turkish, which has a lovely new business class. As a matter of fact, I like fact. Turkish Air. I've used them. Before. It's gonna cost you a lot more miles come February first, unfortunately.
0: And I didn't know that, and I did that by accident. Well, so good, 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 thing for me. Woo. happy accident. All right, so, okay, I'm gonna get into the airlines. Let's do it now. Let's just okay. go jump into it now. <laughs> Seems natural. Um, um, yeah, I'm in. Uh, well, United, Delta, and American, of course. And I find Delta to be the biggest pain in the ass to use their miles. Why is that? Well, for one, uh, their rates seem to be higher. Like mm-hmm. they're just the basic, just using them. They were for that same thing. I was like forty thousand to Africa. Delta was trying to charge me like ninety thousand mm-hmm. or something like that. Two, their website sucks, I think. Uh Their website is just (laughs) difficult to use, I find, in in, in booking mileage Mm -hmm. awards. Am I wrong about this?
1: No, no, no. Uh, It's very hard to track down those low-level saver awards on Delta. That's why it's pricing out higher for you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even if it looks like you're clicking on one of those green squares on the calendar – if you choose the wrong return date, suddenly it's back up to that higher level. And it's definitely not a very functional website. These are all complaints we hear all the time, unfortunately. Not only that, but Delta is also devaluing its award chart twice. Once February 1st and once uh, June 1st. And so their awards, even at the lowest levels, are going to be much more expensive as well.
0: Now, these devaluations, are these more so a result of the mergers and they just have a monopoly on all this? Or B... uh, People like you have figured out the system and people are getting so many miles and using them.
1: As important as I think I am, <laughs> I suspect that it's not the fact. The, the fact of the matter is most people don't use their miles wisely. So airlines are not losing money on these programs in general. They are on flyers like me who's, or you who's booking an $8,000 ticket for 60,000 miles. That's not what they're intended for. Yeah. and Very few people are actually able um, to pull that off on a regular basis. But the fact of the matter is United justified their devaluation by saying it was bringing those redemptions more in line with what uh, their partners would be charging. And also in order to continue offering the level of service that they and their partners were offering, they needed to up the mileage uh, requirements Um And then it also did something a little backhanded by saying, you know, we want to keep offering these to you. So if we can, we, you know, in order to be able to do so, we need to up these mileage requirements, which is sort of their way of saying, like, we don't have to do this at all for you. It was a very sort of like, I don't know, Mean Girls kind of thing uh, to pull, but – You know, Delta is also justifying its devaluations by saying it's upgraded its whole international fleet so there's lie-flat business class on every plane. The fact of the matter is they don't have first class internationally anymore. It's just business elite. They've combined that, you know, into one sort of premium cabin and stuff. So they're just sort of – they're justifying it by saying they're bringing their costs in line a little bit. But the fact is these airlines sell their miles to banks like Amex in the case of Delta or Chase in the case of United they sell billions of miles for millions, millions, and millions of dollars. The reason Delta didn't, didn't, you know, came out of bankruptcy basically is because Amex bought all those miles from them and started issuing all those credit cards. Airlines are making money on these mileage programs, and <laughs> yet they're still passing costs along to us. So it just sort of seems
0: unfair. <laughs> right, right. Is there a particular airline program that you go-to all that that's your main go-to is your favorite for
1: me personally um i really used to like united and i flew star lines carriers a lot but in light of the upcoming devaluation uh, or i guess by the time this airs the, the devaluation yeah. <laughs> that just happened um it's not it's not going to be my major airline of choice and my account is pretty low however that said i did use my united miles to book a first class ticket from you know, New York to Frankfurt on Lufthansa first class, continuing on to Bangkok in Thai first class, just a couple of months ago. So um, for seventy thousand miles, oh, So okay. two awesome first class products um, for a relatively low mileage uh, mileage requirement was fantastic. But that's just not going to be the case anymore.
0: So February first is the day. All these, yes,
1: okay. uh, it's the main date for. United, uh, Delta is raising some awards that date, and then the rest of their awards June 1st. Now, American U.S. Airways are intact for the moment. They're merging. Their awards charts are staying the same for now. <laughs> uh, I suspect that will change. Um, they also, neither of them off uh, require revenue, um, revenue thresholds to hit their elite status levels. Uh, but who knows, that could also change. Um, we haven't heard much about that. So... I'm concentrating most of my activity in either American or U.S. Airways, which we'll be able to combine our mileage uh, balances as well. And we'll just see. And hopefully they'll give us some warning so I can book some of those awards <laughs> yeah. before, if, if and when they devalue their chart.
0: Boy, that's a... I, and they don't give a lot of notice. I don't remember giving a lot of notice from the airline or something. They didn't, they didn't make any big... Or did they make some big announcements? <laughs> well...
1: Big or announcement, no, <laughs> yeah. but it definitely was out there, and it's definitely on like blogs like ours and in, in the mileage space. Um, it's been several months now. The problem is, you know, you can announce it as far ahead of time as you want. The fact of the matter is, I can only book awards three hundred thirty days out. So I've got, and when February first happens, if that award isn't available for like next Christmas time that I want to go to Brazil or something like that, then I'm not going to be able to do anything about it. There are a couple tips and tricks that we can give you to maybe lock in some of those and change it later. But you're still yeah. operating under fairly limited circumstances, unfortunately.
0: Oh, correct me if I'm wrong on this. The, my other problem with Delta was that they didn't allow a layover on a one-way for miles. But American and United did.
1: There, you mean like a stopover? Stopover, uh, yeah. Of over 24 hours? Well... Delta, I have to review their rules. You'll notice I don't fly them very often
0: myself. I think Delta, you
1: could do it on a a round trip. Well, Delta doesn't offer half-price one-way awards is probably the other problem that you ran into. Um, so Delta should should let you do a stopover, um, but you have to book a round trip award. Otherwise, yeah. you're still paying the same amount of miles. So
0: uh. yeah. So I mean, it was more flexibility with American United when you can do just on one ways mm-hmm. and just do a layover there because layovers are are the best mm-hmm. or stopovers. I stopover. No, you again, know, two all trips. gateway cities because I can go through. Um, if I'm going east, I can stop in Florida to see mm-hmm. my family. And I've done that, or New York, mm-hmm. and because everything kind of goes through there, or Chicago, where I'm from, mm-hmm. so I can always live. Or London, mm-hmm. but the problem with going through London with uh, American is they link you to British Airways, and all of a sudden you're paying. I've seen. Up to six hundred dollars in fees and
1: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> just six hundred dollars. That's good. Yeah, um, oh, you've seen higher. <laughs> oh yeah, you know on um business and first class awards, it's usually around the eleven hundred dollar mark. Oh, but for a quote unquote lately. free flight. Yes, exactly. Um, so listen, again, that ticket is ten thousand dollars. So yeah. you could justify it that way, but it's still a lot to be paying uh, when you're also throwing hundreds of thousands of miles at it. So
0: is that fee from? Is it a Heathrow fee or British Airways? It
1: is a carrier-imposed surcharge. Heathrow does levy some fees on you, but they're not nearly what uh, British Airways is charging you. And it's not – you know, American, even on their awards, you'll be spending those hundreds of dollars, too. It's just those one-world carriers through London, unfortunately. That said, Virgin Atlantic will also hit you with those as well for flying through Heathrow. Uh, So one little workaround uh, was to use Delta Miles on Virgin Atlantic, um, which you can still find some low-level availability. Uh, Upper Class is a little more closed off now, though, unfortunately.
0: Now, you were running a little late today because it was a big emergency, (laughs) big credit card emergency. Big credit card deal. (laughs) What is this? Is this going to be – so if this airs um, in February, -February, mid-February. Mm-hmm could is still this, be available. Okay. Now this sounds big. This is
1: Yeah, it was uh so City uh City is the card issuer of American Airlines.
0: I have one of those. Okay. Which one do you have? I have an older one. It's an advantage. City Advantage the card.
1: The City Platinum Select Visa, let's say.
0: Uh yeah, maybe. Okay. I don't, I don't and remember. it came with what? It like was a Mastercard. Big, it was a okay, Mastercard. Okay, perfect.
1: Around 50,000 mile sign-up bonus something yeah. like that. Uh, 50000 is the sign-up bonus that we're seeing most uh, with these cards. When they go up to a high level, it's about 50000 these days. So last week on one of their premium cards, the uh, City Executive Advantage card, which gives you Admirals Club access, um, it costs $450 a year There's the because rubs. of that ad- Admirals ah. Club access. But last week they, um, and this was, I guess, the second week, third week in January, uh, offered the card for 75,000 miles when you spent $7,500 in three months. That's higher than
0: it's That's been a high in a high spending limit.
1: It's, yeah, it's a high spending requirement, but there are ways around that too, which we can yeah, get into. Oh, yeah. This week, however, a reader who has happened to be perusing our post let us know that she had just been at the Admirals Club at JFK and was offered the card for 100,000 miles. Now, the spending requirement is also higher at $10,000 within three months. You also get... $200 back in statement credits um, in, within the first year. So that takes that annual fee down to $250. And then also the benefits package, uh, the The calculus of, of it has changed a little bit lately because the Amex Platinum cards no, will no longer offer admirals club access or u.s airways club access come march 22nd that's a big deal that's a, that's a reason why a lot of people got the mx plan exactly now you still get into priority clubs and stuff which include some alaska airlines lounges and plenty of other lounges especially when traveling internationally but not being able to get into admirals or u.s airways clubs that takes about 50 clubs off the table here in the u.s and it's a big deal <laughs> yeah um so if you want to get into those clubs in the future and you want to do it with a credit card that you'll be using anyway this card is great. Now, you also can earn elite qualifying miles on it. Those credit cards that allow you to do that uh, you know, are getting rarer and rarer. You have to spend $40,000 in a calendar year to do it. Um, but for someone who's spending a lot on business travel, someone who's taking colleagues out to dinner all the time, it's kind of not out of reach at all, really. So it's a premium card for sure. But we're not seeing as many 100,000 point or mile offers uh, as frequently. We do see them. And they're important to get in on, but you yeah. know when one comes around and it makes sense for you, it's important to get in on it.
0: I'm still kicking myself the the one promotion that I missed. That I'm really, I, I still think about that. I was so angry I was the Capital One where they matched your miles yep. for a hundred thousand. And a friend of mine got in on that, and he told me about it because I, I saw it. I was like, eh, I don't know, there might be something. And then he said, no, he just because he called like three times. Mm-hmm. Is like, is this for real? Mm-hmm. Like, he could send in his. His mileage statement for a hundred, it would match it to a hundred thousand.
1: Yep, they would match whatever you had earned on one of the competitors' cards yeah. within the year. Um, so, what's interesting about that, though, is. Capital One venture uh, rewards miles are worth one cent apiece though when you go to redeem them, so even if you maxed out that bonus at one hundred thousand you 'd be getting a thousand dollars worth of travel that 's pretty awesome because there wasn 't any really major spending requirement on it, and you can put them towards things like the fees on award tickets right. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> which is uh, you know or you book through you book through. Capital One, really, this is, I think this is more how this program works. You book your airline ticket through Capital One or your travel through Capital One, then redeem the statement credit for it. So it can be versatile when you need that flight, but not for those high-value awards.
0: Right. My friend uh, Chip Chinnery, who runs a money site, too, we had talked a little about credit cards and things like that. And for people listening, there's a rule with all these credit card promotions. And, and the hard and fast rules are don't do it if your credit is iffy or if you're trying to get a big loan. Two, you, you pay them off every month. Mm-hmm. You can't be a person who carries a balance. No. And uh, three, you got to keep track of them and when they expire and all that other yep, stuff the when to
1: cancel and mileage and points expiration is becoming more and more a thing of the past it's so easy to keep those those points active that um that shouldn't be a major concern anymore they're super easy ways that reactivate them for 18 months many programs like delta for instance have uh done away with mileage expiration uh completely but as you said these are premium tr- credit card products so if your credit's not ex- excellent you're not going to have a great shot or you'll get a product with a lesser bonus uh, a lot of times they'll sort of pawn you off uh, on a a less premium card and like you said the aprs on these cards tend to be quite high like around the 18 to 20 percent mark so no matter how much value you're getting out of your points there is no way that you're getting more (laughs) than what you'll be paying in interest if you're not paying those balances off
0: And people can go to the points guy and see lists of credit cards and what's the best ones.
1: Yes, for anything. Credit cards with no annual fees, credit cards with the lowest spending requirements (laughs) for the highest bonuses, credit cards without foreign transaction fees, those with smart chips for ease of using them abroad. Also, we have all sorts of lists. We love lists.
0: (laughs) Is there one deal out there that um, you advise people against? Do you ever see something and go, you know, that's not the best deal. Stay away from that.
1: You know, it's a matter, I think, of looking at the specific cards you're interested in and seeing how the current offers measure up against where they have been historically. Like anything, you have to look at trends. So if you see a a credit card that you've been interested in, like um, let's say that City Executive Advantage uh, card, and the bonus is only 30,000 miles, but you know it's been up to 50, 60, 75, or 100,000 in the past year, there's no reason to apply for it uh, Mm -hmm. unless... You, you know, unless there's some sort of mileage emergency, <laughs> but I can't fathom that. You know, one of the one of the uh, strategies you should have for your points portfolio is having some transferable points like Amex points, Chase Ultimate Rewards, or Starwood Preferred Guest points that you can use to top up accounts when you need to so you don't get stuck applying for cards you probably don't want to keep around.
0: Right, and once you've lost a chunk of uh, reward points for any kind of thing, you you really... Stay on top of it because I had that happen to me once no. when I was traveling a lot for business. All you need is that to happen once, and then you go never again. Because no. I lost about, I was staying for HGTV when I was shooting these shows. Mm-hmm. We were staying a lot of uh, Hampton Inns because mm-hmm. I was on basic cable, Eric. <laughs> I don't know. We stay in the. <laughs>
1: Listen, there's free Wi Fi at Hampton Inn. I, you know okay? what? I got no
0: problem with and Hampton breakfast. Inns. <laughs> it was clean breakfast, and the Wi Fi worked. So that's all I asked for nowadays. But they, uh, you know, I racked up. I probably had over 100,000 in Hilton Honors points. And uh, then the shows ended, and I wasn't traveling as much. Wasn't I? Just forgot about them. (laughs) And then about a month after they expired, I went. Oh oh my god! And I went in and uh, begging the guy on the phone, and he's like, "Well, we can give you back some of them if you stay five nights." And I'm like, "I just, I didn't do it, and it was (laughs) lost them. So that uh, it only needs to happen once, folks. Exactly. Stay on them.
1: Luckily, there are plenty of apps that you can use. to Award Wallet, I have. Award Wallet is great. Tripit. Uh, and Tripit Pro are also good for that. So I would encourage you to definitely stay up to date on those. I feel like the Hilton people treated you badly though. <laughs> so sometimes if you get the right agent and yeah, you ask I was, nicely they'll reinstate them.
0: But, I mean, they must happen often. People just forget about them. It does.
1: You know, my dad just uh, let 46,000 U.S. Airways miles expire. Luckily, I called up and they were willing to reinstate them for me for $150. I'm still out $150, but considering the value I can get out of those, especially because we took advantage of some transfer bonuses and things like that, uh, that upped the balance to about 100,000 miles, um, it was definitely worth it for me. But it's sort of... You earned those miles. They <laughs> yeah, should be I yours. <laughs> I know. That was tough to let it go. Especially because you can keep them active by doing something as simple as buying an iTunes song through their shopping portal that resets the clock just like that. And then those miles are good for another 18 months. Right.
0: And briefly, to go over this, I know you you get asked this all the time, but people worry about the, the spending requirements. So like this new one, $7,500 in three months, mm-hmm. in the first three months. Yep. And there's ways to do it. Like we uh, – my friend Chip and I would do like the Amazon payments. Mm-hmm. Send each other thousand dollars. About those, what happened now? Good. What are well, they, are they they can shut down, down on your it?
1: account. Absolutely. If oh, really? It looks like you're doing something that's just sort of basically shifting money back and forth.
0: Let's not call it laundering.
1: It's not. Uh, I didn't notice. I didn't say that. <laughs> Uh,
0: but, I almost said it, but no.
1: Yeah, no, it's not money. Because it's it's legitimate. Look, You're actually yes, sending I, it to someone else. You're he
0: not He needed yourself. it for a day, and I needed it for a day. Let's, okay, so we gave it back to each other.
1: Uh, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> but there are other, you know, there are other ways to do it uh, as well. You the know, vanilla
0: reload. Vanilla cards. reloads is
1: certainly something you can do uh, so that you buy these. Uh, cards called Vanilla Reloads uh, and you can load up to $500 of value on each one of those and then you put that on a, uh, a checking or debit alternative card like the Amex Bluebird uh, let's say is the main one that it's compatible with and then you can issue checks you can send money to people there are limits on the transactions you can, you can load up to $5,000 per month using Vanilla Reloads onto your Bluebird account so that's something to keep in mind uh, but uh, you also don't want to be Putting thousands of dollars on this credit card uh, without a way to pay it off again. Also, yeah. the reason this works for some people is, you know, they'll just make their mortgage payment or their rent payment and and things like that using their Bluebird account and after a couple months after three months if you have a you know a home that'll do it and your car payment or your insurance premiums or whatever it happens to be
0: what so uh, banks will accept it for mortgage payment because they don't accept for credit cards it's just a check
1: really that you're issuing from from the account so well uh, that's easy yeah that's why we call them checking or debit
0: alternatives there's Mm -hmm. no
1: credit check to them like a bank would do but you can still do many of the same things you would with a normal checking account which is what makes them so versatile
0: okay so we haven't talked about hotel points let 's talk <laughs> those programs uh, do you is starwood your favorite? I mean if you 're going to recommend one I really like starwood uh,
1: the thing the one drawback I see to Starwood is that uh, they don 't have quite as big a footprint as some of the other guys like Hilton or Marriott. Uh, they have about I think twelve hundred hotels worldwide as opposed to something like uh, Hilton, which has got over four thousand Marriott's closing in on four thousand and stuff like that, so it can be harder to uh, find them. But I love the points because you can transfer to 31 airline partners. You get a 5,000-mile bonus when you make a 20,000-mile transfer uh, to many of the partners. So that's great. And then there, they also have versatile awards like cash and points awards where you pay a cash copay and a points copay. And you can sort of, you know, drag not drag your points out, but to, uh, definitely, uh, like, book more and more nights for uh, for – fewer points than you would just redeeming for a regular award night. So they're very valuable aspects of the program. That said, you don't earn as many points necessarily. You know, Hilton, you earn like 15 points per dollar, although you have to use ninety five thousand points, let's say, to, to book a nice free night somewhere. But um, with star points, you know, including what you can use the points for and some of their elite benefits like the free Wi-Fi or breakfast or whatnot when you get to higher elite levels can definitely be worth it.
0: Let's talk hotels now. Getting off the point system, because people can go to the website for all this stuff. Yep. <laughs> Let's talk about Eric Rosen, the man.
1: The uh... It was a cold, rainy night
0: <laughs> when he was born. The sea was angry that day, my friend. The uh, hotels. Your favorite hotel. Give me your top uh, three favorite hotels in the world. Ever. Anywhere. Anywhere. Of all
1: time. Whew, that's a tough
0: one. Um... Is there a chain or something you prefer, like a, a, whether it's the Four Seasons or whatever? I really,
1: you know, um, I've had such really wonderful experiences all over the place. (laughs) I know this is such a cop out answer. Uh I tend to concentrate. You know, my own travels have taken me around Australia a lot. One of the things I love to do is
0: go glamping. Ah, It's the glamorous
1: ah. camping. Get me a tent. It's fine. I just want heated floors, a spa wh- whirlpool, and a I butler. am not
0: doing that as we speak in Africa. <laughs> I am sleeping on the ground. No,
1: you're actually like camping, camping. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I got to hang out with you. I, gotta, I need some points. That's well, what I yeah. Need.
1: You got to have like a butler to make your s'mores in the evening, <laughs> Of course. <Right? laughs> uh, I can't be touching the
0: graham crackers myself.
1: <laughs> so that's what I mean. I just got to go stay at one of my all-time fantasy properties, the Four Seasons Tented Camp up in the Golden Triangle in Thailand. Wow. I, Is it
0: by Chiang Mai there?
1: Uh, yeah, Chiang Rai. Actually, it was okay. about a three-hour drive from Chiang Mai, but about forty-five minutes from the Chiang Rai airport. Beautiful. And I looked across the river, and there was Burma. Looked a little farther down the river, there was Laos. I crossed into Burma for the day, or Myanmar mm-hmm. uh, for the day, just to this uh, funky little border town. And at the camp, they have a you know just about a couple dozen tents, maybe twenty-four total. Um, and each one is on a particular theme. I was in the explorer's tent, sure, so I had things like antique walking sticks and and <laughs> binoculars and things like that. a beaten copper uh bathtub in the middle of the tent, a gorgeous uh wood deck cantilevered out over a slope, so I was you know just sort of sit there in the evenings on the free wi-fi and oh on the free wi-fi, on the free Wi-Fi, in Wi-Fi in the middle, so i could the, like skype some people of course. And make them jealous this
0: is camping yes. this is camping folks
1: <laughs> um and just gorgeous uh just gorgeous furnishings huge wooden beds um and desks and outdoor shower everything and like i love that sort of thing because you get that taste of luxury you're in a place that not many people can get to and you get that sense of uh, of uniqueness. Uh, what you know, you give up a little sense of that authenticity. It's not like any of the <laughs> yeah. locals are living. The locals like are that. not
0: living this way, no.
1: But it's definitely something where you can you can get out and explore the area and and just sort of relax and pinch yourself basically. And I love those experiences. That said, when I'm looking uh, just for myself. Those two words, uh, uniqueness and authenticity, are my watch words. Uh, uniqueness in, in terms of, like, exclusivity, let's say. That's what I look for to share with my readers. You want to go places that not all of your friends have been to yet, um, uh, but that they'll want to go as soon as you tell mm-hmm.
0: them <laughs> about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the, the place in, in Chiang Rai, was that... Uh, for a press trip or was that on your own?
1: That, you that happened to be a little bit of a mi- uh, mishmash. So for the points guy, we don't do press trips or, or uh, sponsored trips at all. Oh, no. So really? I yeah. have a friend who happens to work at Four Seasons who said, you know, November's low season. If you want to pop over to Thailand, you know, we'll we'll see what we can do for
0: you. I need friends like this. Yeah, they're I have, fantastic. I have friends in low places. That's my problem. Well, she. she's... <laughs> I, know the po- I know the points guy now. Yeah, you
1: know the points guy and that's what you have points for because <laughs> no one was buying my airline ticket over to Asia. That's what I used my United miles and my American miles to uh, get back, uh, you know, to to do that. And then also um, to check out some new points properties like the Park Hyatt and Siem Reap uh, right oh, near Angkor yeah. Wat. That just opened um, and places like the St. Regis in Bangkok and the Ritz-Carlton in Hong Kong. But uh, with Four Seasons, you know, this tented camp costs quite a lot of money. And I – at the same time, I said, you know, I really – It's something that is a pet interest of mine that I've written extensively about this sort of glamping trend. And I will be there the whole month. You just tell me what dates might work for you and I will plan everything else around (laughs) it. Um, So I made that a priority for sure.
0: Did you go up to Luang Prabang?
1: I did not get into Laos this time, unfortunately. So we'll see. I'm working on another trip to Asia at the moment. And and Laos and um, like actual Burma, not the border town (laughs) that (laughs) I was in, are the top of my priority list.
0: Is Asia your uh, – is that your favorite place to be or are you more of a Europe? Uh, I really
1: had a fantastic time in Asia this time. I, I went all around Thailand, uh, popped over to Siem Reap in Cambodia, spent a week in Vietnam and then out through Hong Kong and I loved it there. I had, I had such a great time. That said, in terms of specialties, I'm, I've spent a lot of time uh, down in Argentina, Australia and New Zealand and then yes, I go to France probably once a year because I love it yeah. there, and I love Europe. So I'm sort of like a travel slut. What can I say? <laughs> I just <laughs> I'll go I'll go anywhere there's a bed.
0: <laughs> Are you any languages you speak?
1: I uh, speak uh, French and Spanish. Oh well, that so helps a lot. This is what was super fun about Asia, though, where it's just sort of like you just got to. Give it. I didn't realize how easy I was traveling to places where I couldn't understand what was happening around me. And then it was sort of like, oh, Asia, there are a million people around me right now. And I have no idea what any <laughs> of them is saying. So just relax into it.
0: But I found getting through Asia, I mean, English, is, I had no problem. No, super easy. No problem. Until I got to, like, uh, Taiwan, I think. I I, heard, really? I hear mainland China. I haven't been to mainland sure. China, but I heard that's the... That's where you run into...
1: It's true, and there's not quite as much. I've only been to Shanghai, Beijing, uh, and Hainan Island, um, and then Hong Kong, of course, which doesn't really count. Uh, But uh, definitely, like... Don't try to ask directions on the Shanghai metro because people won't be able to tell you where right. you're going. Uh, certainly not with my accent. So there you go.
0: <laughs> Shanghai just seems like a, almost something out of a movie to me. I haven't been there, but uh, just like seeing the pictures, it looks like... It's just enormous. A big ball blade of runner. energy <laughs> all the time.
1: Yeah, you... I mean, walking along the Bund is one thing, but then you just keep driving and driving and driving, and there's just more and more city. You just can't... It never stops, so... It's incredible. I'd like to go some of those, like, smaller, and you can see my air quotes, but everyone (laughs) else can. Chinese cities that have, like, I don't know, 15 million people, and see what they're (laughs) like, where, you know, they're ones we haven't heard of, and it's just a mass of people living in one
0: place. So when you're in this beautiful hotel in the middle of, uh, you know, and you're glamping up in northern Thailand, Mm -hmm. are you alone at these Places. uh, A lot of times, yes.
1: Although I ran into another travel writer from LA that I actually know. He walked into the the little canteen for lunch one day or whatever. But what are the um, odds of that? I know, right? I was like, (laughs) and what happened is he had posted on my Facebook timeline. He'd seen I was in Thailand and he was like, "Oh, I'm going to asia you know, next month." And then (laughs) I said, "I didn't really believe you until (laughs) now. I just (laughs) saw you walk in." Uh, I tend to be alone a lot, but also remember, and I'm sure you do this when you're traveling. I'm either like meeting with winemakers all day or talking to the hotel rep and learning what's going on or out on a tour or just sort of like walking around making friends. People talk to you when you travel alone. So, I very rarely feel isolated at all and then, you know, on top of that you're working. So, I need that quiet time to mm. myself. Sometimes in Asia it was funny because more than once and I'd say almost every time I walked into a restaurant by myself for dinner, um I got the, are you alone? That's so sad. Should we find someone to sit with you? <laughs> no, <laughs> it, I'm no, fine. No, that's I'm, okay. I'm <laughs> <laughs> or how, or like the one time, Oh, this was in uh, Ho Chi Minh City. I went to a very nice restaurant and um, asked, you know, am I ordering the right amount? And they said, oh, yeah, sure. And they brought maybe seven different dishes to me. I thought they were going to be small little plates. And I started eating, and then they said, when, when is your friend getting here? And I said, there's no friend. And they said, oh, this is way too much food for you. <laughs> I said, all right. I just look like a sad person in the corner stuffing my face.
0: <laughs> now, Vietnam, I loved. I was there for a couple of weeks a mm-hmm. few years ago. And I just it just seems like one of those places that's just – it's it's beautiful, but it's, it's up and coming, although mm-hmm. the Russians seem to be buying up a lot of the shore there.
1: Certainly, and uh, mainland Chinese, too, actually. Yeah. Uh, lots of new resorts going in. I just stayed at one that opened very late in uh, 2012, uh, the Banyan Tree up the uh, Da coast. Oh, yeah. So Da Nang's right in the center uh, of the country on the coast, like where China Beach China is. China Beach, yeah. And the beautiful little village of Hoi An, which is uh, you know a 16th Loved century it. fishing village. Gorgeous. Uh, and then the old imperial capital of Hue is just up the coast about 90 minutes as well. Um, uh, and it's definitely interesting. Lots more developments going in. Lots of casinos near yeah. Dunning, the town itself. So I wouldn't suggest that. But like you said, what shocked me about Vietnam is how different the north and south still are. Going to Ho Chi Minh City is so different from Hanoi. Oh, absolutely! And Hanoi really feels like oh, this is full on still developing. Whereas Ho Chi Minh City, you're like, there's a Burberry store. How? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know things things are clearly progressing quite quickly. So.
0: And and it's funny, like the people in the south, they say, oh, don't trust the northerners. It's like a real. Mm-hmm. It's still split. It's mm-hmm. still really well. Is.
1: Some people would argue the United States is too. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Good point.
0: <laughs> Are you an active kind of? I mean, do you go out and? Uh, are you, I don't know. Do you scuba dive? Do you? Are you a hiker? Not scuba or do you dive, electric? but if you
1: have a snorkel, I'll take that. No problem. <laughs> uh, no, and I, I definitely try to do uh, something not only every day on the trip, but you know, I would. I love going on hikes. I play all sorts of sports and stuff. Go diving, go boating, go water skiing, sailing, whatever it happens to be. Paddle boarding, I've just picked up, which is
0: uh, super fun. Right. So, do you, are you a winter sports guy? Do you ski? Nope. Or, <laughs> nope, nope. Okay, San, de- the San said, Diego you came know, out. I
1: didn't see snow till I was fifteen, actually. That's so bizarre in to France. Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I can ski <laughs> uh, and snowboard, but uh, I don't. I don't do it. I actually don't write about it at all, or cruising for that matter. Those are the two big sectors of travel that i really don't have anything right senior travel to i
0: suppose but (laughs)
1: empty nesters yeah
0: okay now uh your favorite airport if you if you what what airport (laughs) i know if you can have a favorite but i mean is there one that you see they go you know what they did this one right Hmm. this they've laid it out right and it's good
1: Do you know, the Hong Kong airport now, only because it's so different, I went there as a kid with my mom, like I said, and I remember, what what did they used to say about the um, old airport, that if you're hungry, when you're flying in, just reach out the window and grab some noodles from the windowsill, because you were flying that close in, and the airport itself was such a disgrace, and now going to the new Hong Kong airport, it's like gorgeous and huge and cavernous, Um, it's still a pain to go between gates, but I always think about that as the sort of counterpoint. Um it's, it's sort of easier for me to think about places I really don't like in
0: terms Your of Your least favorite airport, the oh, one that you dread going Sh- through. Charles de Gaulle. It's oh, horrible Paris. getting
1: around yeah. from terminal to terminal. They have so few gates. You're always on a bus tour from the plane. Uh, and especially when you land at 5 in the morning. Like, I don't want to touch the other passengers. <laughs> I don't want to see them. I don't want to wait in line for an hour at customs. But I'm trying to think, you know, when we talk about airports, we talk about the club lounges a lot too because – there's always some way to get access. You can, you can always find a way. And so I love that uh, British Airways Terminal 5 at Heathrow. I love the Qantas First Lounge uh, in Sydney. Uh, that's a really gorgeous lounge with like a living wall of plants and a spa. And Neil Perry <laughs> does the cooking and stuff. Um, and in terms of the U.S., I'm trying to think what we have that's nice. Some of our like – I can't wait to go try out the new Star Alliance Lounge at the new Tom Bradley actually. looks like it's beautiful. Um, and Air New Zealand had a great lounge here that I think has been incorporated into that one now. So it's bound to be pretty nice, I think.
0: I thought the best food in, in the American airport would be in um, San Francisco because mm-hmm. they use like local restaurants right. and stuff like that. And I thought that was – they did a nice job with that.
1: They And they we actually should have some nice ones now in, in Tom Bradley and in some of the other terminals. Some of our local brands are getting in there.
0: But, I mean, if, and we're lucky we live in L.A. Mm-hmm. because I would hate to get stuck in this airport and a long, No, for real. <laughs> ...with no food options in any yeah. of the terminals. I, I mean, Bradley's some of them a different animal.
1: Bradley is different, but some of them are changing at least a little bit. Um, like Terminal, I think, 5 and the Delta? Terminal 6 have a... Yeah, the Delta one has a couple new restaurants in it. Um, but I also like, you know... If, Getting stuck? Why not get stuck in Austin, where you can get some Salt Lake barbecue yes, or something exactly. like that? We definitely need more options like that. <laughs> yep. more, less Wolfgang Puck, more interesting local foods because right. we've got such a great restaurant scene here too. Absolutely.
0: Um, if is there a if somebody gave you a, a choice and said, "Okay, you can go a week mm-hmm. anywhere in the world for one week," mm-hmm. where would you go? Um, it's France, isn't it?
1: YouTube? No, no. I mean, I can I can go there anytime I want. Oh, okay. Really. So there you go. It might as well be farther afield and harder to <laughs> sure, get to, okay, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, not to not to cast off France, France. I love you. <laughs> uh, I would go someplace I probably wouldn't be able to get very easily on my own. I would love to go to India or the Maldives, for instance. Um, I haven't really checked out any of the Middle East, and I would love. I went to South Africa last January, and I'm dying to go. To Namibia, Botswana, uh, Rwanda, and just have different kinds of experiences. Um, the safari experiences look incredible in each of those countries, and just get something that's a little South Africa. Uh, while an amazing place, also feels like the the Reader's Digest version of Africa. Yeah, which it's very easily navigable. It's a wonderful place to go, and like I'm dying to get back. No, no question about it but uh some something again that feels a little more uh authentic uh and down to earth authentic glamping. not the right but, <laughs> but glamping why not <laughs> some good glamping you know exterior, highland but. gorillas during the day you know sure. campfire butler at night why not
0: <laughs> <laughs> i only find the, the the only hard part like you said uh, during the day we're always out doing stuff you know and meeting people and mm-hmm. taking you know doing whatever activity the only time i ever find uh traveling alone tough is uh, when you want to go have a nice meal or something mm-hmm. and it's at night mm-hmm. you know and you're in this beautiful tent clamping mm-hmm. in the middle of uh, Thailand and mm-hmm. uh, you know it'd be nice to have somebody there absolutely that's the only sometimes
1: you have a lot of time in the most romantic well, place that, ever that's the other thing or you just want to be like Dude, look where I am. Someone else <laughs> needs to realize I have a three-bedroom villa all to myself. That's what's sad, sort of like wandering around your huge room or whatever it happens to be. But um – that, you know, <laughs> that's true. Or if you just want to, like, share a bottle of wine at dinner or something right. like that, it's very hard to order a bottle of wine for yourself and not appear, I don't know, <laughs> out of control. Yeah, especially,
0: like, in Buenos Aires where it's so right? cheap and the wine's so good.
1: They're actually, they don't bat an eyelash. They're like, whatever, yeah, have it. Apparently you're having <laughs> right? a drink, drinking a bottle
0: of wine tonight, night, sir. Fine. <laughs>
1: Uh, but I do want to say this, because I don't want to get a too glamping, you know, luxury boy yeah. of an image here, <laughs> even though I love that sort of stuff. But it's important, I think, too. like, even if you're staying somewhere, like the sins Tented Camp, my guide, Paul... We were out during the day all together in Myanmar. He was telling me all about his life. Um, we talk about the elephant sanctuary that they have there because you can go learn to be a mahout for the day. It's important, I think, or in Vietnam, for instance. I was staying at the new intercontinental right on Westlake and went out to a village, a showcase village for the day just to ride the bikes around and see the tomb of the first emperor of Vietnam and – that sort of thing, that just talking to the driver and the guide who said, oh, you're a writer. That's very interesting. So if you don't like what's going on in your country or what the president says, can you just say so? I said, yes, can't you? Having interactions like that and actually making sure that you put aside time or that you keep – you keep your curiosity is is quite important, and you can still do that even if you are having those luxury experiences. So.
0: I was reading the English language uh, papers in Vietnam, and of course, they're you know the government clears everything through it, and it was so obvious. And you know, we're so used to freedom of the press mm-hmm. that how the government just screens every story and everything is just propaganda, mm-hmm. you know. There was always an article. Look, uh, the, the government made an arrest of these drug dealers, and this is a great thing, and, mm-hmm. and everything was positive, everything's good. Mm-hmm. And- and, Everything
1: uh, happy all the time, sunny, right. you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and foreign stuff. Ooh, bad. Look yep. what's happening over there. And you're like, okay, yeah, I, I see what that. What
1: also shocks me is that also part of this conversation, they said, you know, what about can gays get married where you live? And I said, well, they, they can where I live in particular, but not all over the country. What about here? And they said, oh, yeah, we just passed that a couple weeks ago. Gays can get married in Vietnam now. Really? Things like that are shocking. And yes. it's, it's good to have jarring experiences like that, too, when you're... Uh, abroad, and sort of real you know we we think a certain way in America, but it 's good to uh, it's, and I think we feel like other times other cultures don 't necessarily get our self contradictions, but it 's important to remember that you have to ask those questions of other people too, mm-hmm. which is what i love and and the answers are
0: always a surprise <laughs> <laughs> so let 's go back to the points, guy
1: sorry yes, okay,
0: yeah <laughs> uh, um, so the hardest part about creating a website and working on a website how is it different from just travel writing as before
1: oh it's so different you know the points guy first and foremost is like a news site um you know the reason again i was a little late today was because there was a breaking story and i had to get it up (laughs) immediately um you know first of all who knows when it would go away but secondly you always want to get the scoop on things so you're a little bit more tied to your uh, computer and your personal devices and your Twitter feed and things like that, and that's a big uh, difference. It also impacts you a little more in terms of travel. Um, you know, while I was in Asia, had to you, you leave a phone on all night just in case something comes up and you have to like get on the computer immediately. And you also have to consider which airlines are going to have Wi-Fi so you don't lose a day of work. Right. Uh, which lounges you're going to get into and get Wi-Fi through there what your international phone plan is like. These are all things I thought about as a travel writer, but eh, if I was out of touch for a day, my editor wasn't going to kill me, <laughs> you know? Um, and we also, uh, in terms of running your own site, and we post every day between like, you know, on weekends maybe three posts a day, but today I think we'll have 10 altogether, 10 posts, that, you know, you, you are constantly digesting and then um, and then. Reordering, but, all, you know, uh, digesting and then processing information for your readers. Whereas with travel writing, sometimes, you know, you have a piece, you can percolate on it for a month, you interview a few uh, different people, you pick out some major trends and stuff. With us, you know, each story is actually like a developing story, so you see that process played out over a series of posts rather than in one entire, like,
0: dissertation-like article. Right, right. I mean, but it moves quickly. I mean, ten stories a day, that's a lot. Yeah,
1: can be. Luckily, we don't have too many days like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is it all uh, your staff, or do you take submissions from other people? You know, we have
1: some contributors, like our mutual friend, Melanie, Melanie Wins, sure. who's going to be helping us out. Um, and, you know, Brian, the points guy, and I write a lot of our stuff. And then we have uh, a couple of writers that um, we just sort of hand things off to every week, which is good. And they're in charge of certain series. And
0: then we take, f- you know, freelance contributions as well. Where do you see these... Um Travel programs and all these things going, whether it's with flights or uh, credit cards or hotel stuff. Uh, do you see the trend of more, or are they going to be cutting back less? And you know, I don't, I don't think so. I is mean, competition these, healthy? I mean, uh, I think
1: it's great. You know, listen, um, Amex, for instance, used to rule the transferable points market with their membership rewards. Then Chase comes along and adds ten travel partners, like immediately, uh, including United, Southwest, British Airways, Hyatt, all of those. You know, it's sort of poached some of those partners from Amex as well. You know, e- e- it means it means better things for the consumer because those cards are going to have to add on more benefits to attract those premium consumers thereafter. they're after. They're going to have to add on travel partners to keep their value proposition up, and they're going to have to offer transfer bonuses in order to keep us interested in using those points. Me, I'm sitting on hundreds of thousands of credit card points. Chase does not want me to sit on those. They want me to get it off their balance sheet, basically. Um, so hopefully they 'll do a transfer bonus they haven 't yet, but Amex runs those all the time and it 's a way of keeping that program interesting and active. I think in terms of airlines, like these programs have been along around a long time now. you know American touts itself as having nearly seventy million advantage members you can 't just shut that off <laughs> any time you want you know that would be a huge um, uh, uh, you know, disaster i think for for their loyalty but that said we 're seeing uh, we 're seeing United. Delta, change their programs, and who knows what the next step is. Maybe they're going to go to a revenue-based programs sort of like Virgin America or Southwest where you earn a certain point amount of points per dollar and redeem them at set amounts. So those premium awards really become more out of reach. With the hotels, we also saw some devaluations. Hilton's was major this past year. Um, whereas Starwood uh, just had like a little adjustment to cash and points, it's, it's, it still makes a difference, but it, it wasn't that drastic. And Hyatt just had a devaluation as well, um, with some awards at uh, some resorts going up eight thousand points per night. So out of out of like twenty two thousand, so you know that's a pretty big uh, step. I don't think these programs are going anywhere, but I think
0: they will continue to evolve
1: and perhaps faster than they have in the past. Do you
0: worry about these airline mergers? Or, I mean, is that a of... course, of- <laughs> you
1: know, uncertainty is terrible, right? I'm, right? <laughs> you know, you... Here's the thing. You can't stay up nights worrying about your miles being useless. You, you also can't hoard your miles. They're, they're the one commodity that will not increase in value. It's like driving a car off a lot. Your point is not going to be worth more tomorrow than it is today. So if you want to use them, use them. You also have to have faith that by coming to thepointsguy.com or, you know, just being savvy. If you want an award, you're going to be able to rack those points up if you're smart about your credit um, and your spending habits and your travel habits. Like, think about that flight. Maybe take the one that's $5 more but that's on American Airlines if you need to rack up those miles rather than flying Southwest. There are lots of things you can do to be conscious and aware of your point situation so that you'll still be able to earn the travel that you want to take.
0: Right. Got it, but... You know, when when I hear about these things about the devaluations and all that stuff and then they're raising I it makes worry to you panic, you yes. want to use those
1: points, right? Well, <laughs> the hotels and airlines want you to use those points in miles. It's good. Do it now while you can, but also like don't panic. <laughs>
0: yeah. But flexibility is the key on all these things. I mean it's the only way one. you're gonna get a good deal is you have to be flexible. If you're locked in, I can only travel Thanksgiving week, well you're kinda of screwed.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. (laughs) But then you have, you know, you buy those tickets and you redeem those Capital One points or the Barclay Card Arrival points or uh, City Thank You points for those trips. That's that's another point. There are different kinds of points for different kinds of travel. So don't you know? Don't just earn Delta miles and figure that's all you'll be able to do. You you've got to diversify a little bit. I also, you know, uh, going back to uh, what you were saying. Devaluations have one sort of silver lining benefit, although it's it's a tough sell, that because these awards are getting more expensive, fewer people are going to be able to redeem miles or points for them, which theoretically means it might be easier to find the room you want or the ticket you want if you have those miles or points to use. So. You know that's that's a uh, one way of looking at it. It's it's cold consolation, but it's still something.
0: Give me your your favorite uh, airline to fly first class. What is the best cabin that y- mm, or well, service? I just had
1: like a listen. I had this like baller <laughs> a trip around the world basically in first class on Lufthansa, thai emirates and Cathay pacific wow the emirates flight was two hours long but it was on the a380 and was in first
0: class and i still got a shower in so fine a shower uh-huh on the plane
1: <laughs> on the plane <laughs> okay
0: now let's talk about this Hold, uh-huh. wait a minute it's, this is the big, giant Airbus, the...
1: Yep, Two, double-decker. Double-decker.
0: <laughs> uh, see, I haven't flown one of those yet.
1: Ah, okay. I've flown it on Qantas, Korean, Emirates, and I... F- oh, and Thai, as Are you a matter a fan? of fact. Yeah, it's nice. It's quiet. It's huge. If I were... I'd never flown it in Economy.
0: Oh, okay. Um, well, of course.
1: Where I'm like, oh my God, I'm with 600 other people ah. on this pl- in the belly of the beast right now. <laughs> and, with the
0: riffraff. yeah.
1: But um, you know, it's what's three four three across is the most common configuration on that in coach. But um, so was upstairs. The upstairs every time. In fact, I don't think I've ever ooh, flown it downstairs upper either. Level. Well. Yeah, the lower level is actually big because it's nice and, and wide, and the ceilings a bit higher. On the upper level, you definitely have the curvature of the plane a little bit. So yeah,
0: but f- you got okay. Now tell me about a shower. Okay, well, let's no. go. come on. Well, this is a community shower. This god, is wouldn't like- that
1: be fun? No, it's not the Mile High Club, <laughs> it's a spa. No, yeah, they, well, they call it's it a bathhouse. They call it a bathhouse. The spa shower suite. Well, I don't know what airline that's on, but if you find out, let me know. I will. Yeah. Um, that's a different website. Um, I think we've discovered our next business <laughs> venture. Yeah. Um, so they have two shower spa suites at the front of the plane. My god, um, and they're only uh, a suite, say, a suite, a suite. It's not, it's Basically just a big bathroom with a shower. Okay. Um, But there are 12 seats in first class, so... Basically, at the start of their uh, you know long trips from like Dubai to JFK or whatever, yeah. um, they take the schedule down and assign you a time basically. I think most people like to do it like around the breakfast service time uh, towards the end of the flight. And um, there's five minutes of hot water, so you can turn the shower on and off. They get the whole suite ready for you between passengers. They turn on like the floor heating. They oh. put out all the the bath products and amenities. Fun fact, I'm allergic to aloe. It's like the one random allergy that wow. I have. So it means like with spas and stuff, I pay special attention and things like that. All of their products in the Emirates First Class Spa Shower Suite have aloe in it. (laughs)
0: Well, you have your own – you probably have your own I did it at bag. the time.
1: It was a two-hour trip. I was like – I actually didn't think I was going to go shower, but I was one of two first-class passengers and was taking photos. So the flight attendants were well, like, you, you, you want to do everything, don't you? Okay, as soon as the light's off, we're going to serve you lunch. We're going to take you back to the bar so you can take a look at that. We're going to get the shower suite ready, oh. and then you'll be back in your seat for descent. And I was like, all right, let's do it, ladies. We're on schedule. Um, <laughs> all awesome. with a glass of like Dom Perignon in hand. So oh there you my go. <laughs> god!
0: For two hours, mm-hmm. uh, I want to live on that well, thing. Can I rent it out and live there for a
1: year? I, rent? It was nice, I have to say. Although the shower too is like like a one of those like dorm showers with like the sliding door and the oh, removable yeah, yeah. like head and stuff. But what was what was interesting about this trip is I I paid for it. It was a Points Guy expenditure, so you'll be seeing well. right up. But um, the ticket from Bangkok to Hong Kong, which is what this flight was, it was a tag flight, so flight comes in from Dubai to Bangkok, Bangkok to Hong Kong, um, would have cost $200 in coach. Five hundred dollars in business class or seven hundred dollars in first class. So it was a splurge, but it's definitely one of those ways where for you A V geeks out there like me that you <laughs> you can definitely yeah. experience what, what is consistently ranked the best first class. That or that
0: are Singapore's suites, basically. Singapore Airlines is the one I haven't flown yet. And me too. everybody raves About them all the time.
1: And now that's a a bit of a difficult situation, but your Amex points can come in handy. They don't release those suites to members, uh, to non members of their Chris Flyer program. Like, you can't book them using. United miles. You have to have Chris Flyer miles. Right. So that's one thing and those are those aspirational awards where you literally open a credit card, transfer the points and simply for that one award ticket. Yeah. And if that's your goal, do it. You know, listen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Singapore Airlines had a booth at the at the travel show oh, uh-huh. and they had their business class mm-hmm. seats and they were amazing. Mm-hmm. There were
1: beds. That's their new business class yes. seat too so you'll see them starting to be implemented. Even the old ones, they're like huge and boxy but they're enormous.
0: Yeah, I kept asking the guy, I said, so this is business not mm-hmm. first? He goes, no oh, this is business well if this is business i right. can't imagine what the first is and
1: they're equivalent to like the first class seats even on something like thai which is like 121 it's the same configuration and everything. So. Well, you've been ruined
0: now. You, when you have to fly coach. I don't
1: want to fly business have, even anymore <laughs> after that trip. Are you kidding me? When you have to fly coach, <laughs> it must be
0: awful for you.
1: No, it's okay. Like I said, I fit in the seat. I'm going to Cancun, like I said, on uh, Friday.
0: Yeah, it's a short flight. And
1: though. it is. It's a short flight. It's four and a half hours, though. So it's, you know, it's 2,000 miles. Um, and I have a middle seat. And it's just sort of like, eh, it happens. Now, on those 16 hours, that's the thing. I don't care about the flights that, that aren't going to bother me that are during the day that I'll work. But if I'm going to take a 16 hour flight, I'm going to do my darndest to make sure I'm comfortable. And that's where the miles and points come in for me. How's your uh, opinion of Mexico changed over the years? I mean, what's. It really hasn't, to be honest. Okay. I love Mexico. A San Diego boy, my family went down there for dozens of years. We went every Christmas for about 10 years there. I've been to Mexico four or five times within the past year. I'm not going to places where there are like gang beheadings like in, you know, Acapulco, let's say, or on the streets of Cancun in, in some shady areas. But Mexico, the people are wonderful. The food is phenomenal in places like it's I'm not talking Tex Mex burritos and oh, no, carnitas yeah. and stuff. I'm talking about like whole fried wachinanga and things like mm-hmm. that. I think people underestimate what Mexico's about or they get sucked into all inclusives in places and don't actually get that authenticity part that I'm talking about. So I'm going to Cancun Cancun, um, and staying at a new a resort called Nizuk uh, that I think Amman Resorts had started building and then uh, someone else bought it from them and completed. Um, and then going down the coast either to Tulum to go on like a little yoga retreat or something like that and really getting away from those spring break
0: sort of places. Now, when you describe your life, but just listening to it sounds amazing. And I know when you, you got you meet people and then you tell them what you, where you're going, what you're doing. They're mm-hmm. like, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" Mm-hmm. And uh, and it is. I have to pinch myself yeah, sometimes. Yeah, but a, I mean, it's not all. I mean, there's a lot of work involved. Yes, and a now, lot of work. <laughs> and now with uh, social media, just keeping up on every outlet. You know, you have your Instagram, you have your Twitter, yep. you have your Pinterest, you have you know Facebook. Yep.
1: I'm actually – this is why I love Instagram because you can tweet Facebook and Instagram all at the same time and it really saves me a ton of time and makes it look like I can take photos, which is amazing because I, I'm terrible. Yeah, those filters, they help. I love it. Oh, and it makes it look like I'm actually like in some place gorgeous even on a cloudy day. Um, but you're right. I think people don't understand – like some of my friends are still say like have fun on vacation and it's like it's not, it's not vacation. I'll be, I'll be working quite a lot while I'm there and interviewing people and whatever it happens to be. Tempered with the fact that like, oh, I'm taking a cooking class from a Michelin-starred chef or I'm talking one-on-one with this winemaker whose great-grandfather planted these very vines himself. That sort of thing, balancing the two, recognizing the awesome parts but also putting in the hard work is at the heart of what we do. Um, But you're right. You can't tell people – A lot of times, like, oh, I worked so hard. Like you, I climbed Kilimanjaro and I worked so hard. I'm coming from Zanzibar and it was so hard to get that Turkish business class flight and whatever. It doesn't ring true, unfortunately, even if it might be. Um, but I, I, I'm quite lucky and I'm happy to put in the work because it's, it's stuff that interests me anyway. It's stuff I'd be looking up anyway. The one thing too like you said about keeping up with all the social media is yes, you have to keep up with all the other – what all the other outlets are saying and pinpointing and trends but also not be afraid to express your own opinion about what you you see happening or – where you think people should go or a story that, that uh, you find interesting. What I find is the retweet syndrome where everybody's just rehashing the same old thing. And what I'd like to see is more like even if you're going to Akron or Omaha, 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 <laughs> as yeah. Denver had displayed right. uh, today. Um, y- if you find something interesting to do there, share it. Other people will too.
0: I mean with, with the, the site like the points guy – that's getting more and more popular all the time. And it has some influence on people. People listen to your recommendations and stuff like that. Are you worried about writing a negative thing about a place or... No.
1: Um, and here's why. Uh, it's different. Obviously, when you're, if you take press trips um, and if like a tourism board has invited you to go somewhere or you're flying the delivery flight of an airline or whatever you I, I one thing i 'm very lucky about is I have great relationships with my professional contacts, and it 's a matter of saying listen here 's what happened on this experience um, i I do have to cover it just a heads up you know just being honest with the people because the the fact of the matter is no one benefits when you 're not honest about uh, about an experience you you 'll lose readers. The company will lose uh, credibility. Whoever sent you the destination, whatever it is, will lose credibility. In terms of the points guide, this is one reason we don't do press trips and things like that um, or cover things that have been paid for because um, we don't want the appearance uh, of, of – uh, you know, the appearance of, of not being completely ethical about things because we are. Um, but also we can use those points to, to pay for whatever we need to and that's what people come to us to learn about really. So I also always say, you know, there's um, – there I operate according to two mantras. One is that a, a great review is not about judgment. It's about description. Now, what that means to me is that you – You use your words in such a way to describe the experience, place, plane, whatever it happens to be, in such a way that uh, someone feels like they have had the experience themselves and can decide if they want it. And obviously your opinion colors that. So, okay. But no one knows me from Adam. So if I say, oh, this plane sucked, (laughs) they got nothing to go on really, you know. Um, And the other one uh, is that there are so many fantastic places to go, things to do, and experience That, quite frankly, there's not enough time in the day to write about the crappy ones unless people are specifically interested in it and wondering whether to go there or somewhere else. Um, And so, again, we're so busy that we have to report on negative things like changes to club lounge access, chart evaluations, whether we had a horrible experience in this new first class and stuff like that. Um, And that's okay because people are interested in it. But just writing things to slam things, no one's no one's that interested in in that sort of uh, gonzo
0: journalism, really. Have you ever gotten a backlash from any kind of uh, airline or or anything like that, or business or bank?
1: We have very good. (laughs) You you know, listen, we have to have relationships with these people. We try not to blindside them with stuff. But again, sometimes we see things that happen that they haven't, you know, let us know about. And we have to report on them immediately, obviously. Um, I believe there was one. (laughs) It was very funny. Uh, You know, airlines, hotels, credit cards have like... Points shopping malls online online portals. Yeah, Amex had one and closed it last year. And I think uh, Brian came up with this headline. This was super fun. It was like death of the Amex bonus points mall. <laughs> it was like death of Ivan Ilyich or whatever the, <laughs> the the Russian book is, the novel. Yeah. And. Um, we, you know our Amex, <laughs> our Amex uh, person that we we get our facts uh, fact checking from was like we saw the headline. I you know <laughs> pretty dramatic, but you know it's true. And we're like, well, it's true. You know we've been waiting to to hear about this for a while, and and we just had to get it up basically. So there are no hard feelings and stuff. We also you know we make very sure to fact check what we put up on the site, and and you know. Make sure if we're saying something is absolutely true that we have the source to prove it. Um, so in, in terms of that, like our contacts definitely respect us for that. And, um, you know, you can't really quibble with it. If it's true,
0: it's true. Is there a main tip you give people that are traveling that uh, – uh, do you tell them if you want to get a little uh, special treatment on the plane or in an airport – because I remember we had Johnny Jet in here, and he was mm-hmm. saying, "You know,
1: Johnny's what? such a kiss up. He brings boxes of chocolates <laughs> exactly. with him. That was, him, right? his, you know, be. I have another friend who does that too. I don't, I don't,
0: I don't have enough balls to do it. His, I, don't, I couldn't do his it. His
1: boyfriend got uh, upgraded to business class on like an American flight to London or something. This is this your like friend? It. Yeah. Just by being nice. Uh, with a box of chocolates, a uh. box of seized chocolates specifically. Me, um, I haven't gotten anything to – I mean I've gotten like little bottles of wine or something <laughs> like that that I have not asked for. I just want to point okay. that out. <laughs> Um, that I'm like, this is so nice. Could I just have like a sandwich or something instead? <laughs> um, but
0: it can never hurt, though. I mean, they, they get, get treated like crap a lot be of the time. so
1: nice to people on the plane. The fact of the matter is I think people get that air rage and they have no control over boarding, seating situation. Maybe the overhead bin will be filled. Maybe it won't. And I think if you're just a little bit relaxed and you put a smile on your face, it goes a long way. People help me with my bags. They make sure I have an extra pillow if I want to um, – um, and it's just, but hello, how are you? That's all it takes. <laughs> you know, and sometimes, and just accepting the fact that like, nope, there's not a window seat left. Sorry, sir. And saying like, thank you for trying. That's it. Because you know, if one opens up or someone else moves seats, they'll be like, Mr. Rosen, can you please report to the check-in desk?
0: Cost is a is a big reason why people don't travel. I mean, Americans specifically, and also uh, time. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them don't have the time and we don't,
1: also we're surrounded by oceans it takes a while to get to another continent it's, it's
0: far and but i tell people though these programs like uh, you you know talk about and all that uh, that's one of the reasons you can go places mm-hmm. i mean when you take care of that airfare yeah that's a huge chunk yep. of everything because and once hotels, you get to too. asia like a place like vietnam it's so cheap yep. once you get there and people go how can you afford to spend two weeks and it's like I'll oh, i'll spend more in a weekend in la than yep. i will in a week yep. in, in vietnam
1: and there're ways to do that even in you know theoretically expensive places like Europe as well yes. you know and the hotel points are even more valuable lots of times because there's just that one airline ticket but each night in a hotel can be quite expensive obviously i also think like we were talking about at the LA Times travel show i priced out tickets for a specific article i was writing about vietnam and said You know, it seems like it's farther, but it's really not that much farther than getting to, like, Germany from from here. or from L.A. Yeah, or Italy, to be honest. And it's $300 cheaper (laughs) at the moment (laughs) than flying to Paris. So people need to think outside the box a little bit when it comes to travel as well and also realize, like, if you're flying anywhere under 3 hours, you can do a weekend trip on that. Suck it up. 7 to 10 at night on a Friday, you wouldn't have been go- you wouldn't have been doing anything anyway. Maybe dinner and a movie or something and then you can wake up in on a beach in Mexico the next day.
0: You find fear is a lot of it with people. I mean, I know there's always a fear of the unknown, but I don't, think we, I don't think we emphasize travel as much in this country as certainly is like a lot of right? Europeans Only, do. what, 30% Australians of us have always-
1: passports. Well, Australia, again, they're just so used to flying those long distances. But I also think Americans, you know, you, you get that syndrome of people who have been to, like, I, where where'd I been? Almost every continent, I think, except Antarctica, but I still hadn't been up to Oregon. Yeah, You know, um, and just getting people, I think, used to traveling, not only in their own backyard, but, uh, you know, saying, I don't know, it's maybe a five hour flight to Costa Rica.
0: Do it. It's like going to Newark, except you're in Costa Rica. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's where, again, fear and not knowing. I suppose so.
1: I, you know, personally, I guess maybe, maybe it's the self-selecting but all my friends are huge travelers if i haven't been somewhere they have and then we you know switch places <laughs> we're crossing in the air or whatever but i also find like people like my folks who aren't traveling a- as much anymore are saying like oh you're going back to australia God, i really want to go you know and and realizing like you could do it in a week right eric like if you were in the business class seat you'd be fine when you landed and stuff like that and i think more people are more curious than ever i don't think it's going the other way So I think people are a little worried about certain areas like the Middle East, let's say, or Russia, if you're gay now, or, um, you know, places where there are likely to be incidents or perhaps natural disasters. But for the most part, there's always somewhere else to go, you know?
0: The Russians are getting around. Yeah. They're really starting to move. They're they're taking a lot of the heat off of us as travelers, as the ugly traveler. (laughs) Um, But uh, I I cut them a little slack in that they're new Mm -hmm. to the travel game. Just like Americans were like you know, back in the forties and fifties and we had that reputation of yep. being loud and and flashing our money all over the place. And yeah, <laughs> inconsiderate to the locals and so I'm hoping like the new generations mm-hmm. will as the more it's open. But now Yeah, kids it's, are it's more tough. sophisticated than ever I these hope. days. And But the younger ones have grown up since the fall of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And they're growing up in a different world. You yes, know? And, and they have the internet and they've seen things and they they're getting around more. So yeah. that's that I think that and can only be good. Like,
1: Black cards, basically, <laughs> it seems like. Uh-huh.
0: Um, where do you see the points guy going in in the future?
1: We've got a lot of fun stuff coming up. We're going to launch an app to help people keep track of their points and also determine which card to use on which transaction on the fly as well as which merchants are nearby. Um, uh, that they can earn the most points at. We're going to be doing a lot more video content. Uh, We're going to be launching something called TPGTV, where we maximize specific destinations and help people with the planning process, um, as well as fun stuff that we do within destinations themselves that will be getting underway. Um, The site is growing tremendously. We expect to be at about a million unique users in the next month or two. Um, per month. And, you know, we just, we're we're constantly adding on writers and stuff like that and coverage areas and, you know, listening to our readers and taking suggestions. So the site keeps evolving uh, from where it was, from when it was just two of us working on it about two <laughs> years ago. And now, you know, it's it's a whole different beast, but it's just great.
0: How has seeing the world changed you as a person and like your philosophy about people or life in general? Do you
1: know, one of the virtues I admire most in people is curiosity, and it's something that I always like to uh, make sure I'm, I'm expressing a healthy dose of, too. You know, I can be a little bit know it all and I've seen it all, and I've done it all, <laughs> and I'm smoking my fake little cigarette here. <laughs> yeah. and, been there. Yeah, been done there, it. done that. And there's something, and especially when talking about travel, everyone's like, oh, well, I went to the best cafe in Paris, or like, oh, the best tapas bar in Madrid is this, that I try to stay away from. I love hearing people's suggestions, but I also and people obviously ask me about suggestions all the time too but saying like here's some things that I love tell me where you go though and and you know next time I'll hit it up when I'm there and realizing that there's such a value in interchange traveling as a younger as a younger man also opened me up to um being comfortable with being American, if that makes sense. Like, I remember going abroad for six months when I was 18 and working in Paris and studying in Madrid and saying, like, oh, I'm so ashamed to be American. Oh, we're so <laughs> loud and crass and I wish I was Spanish and would, you know, <laughs> you eat know, tapas every night exactly. and dance flamenco and things like that. And then coming back and being more comfortable and, and, and saying, like, God, there's so many great things about our country and, and the people from it and so many things that other people can come and explore in the US and that I bring to the table when I go somewhere else and talk to like that guy in Vietnam and you know <laughs> learn about his country that it's made me much more grateful to be who I am uh, and in the time that I, I exist as well as the opportunities to go literally to any point on the surface of the earth. <laughs> That's what's incredible to me, that I can literally go everywhere. It's so frustrating because I won't, but I'm going to try, try my best.
0: It's really an amazing time,
1: though, yeah. to, be, to be able to do this. If only there were, like, teletransporters. That would be the one
0: thing. Oh, it would be great.
1: That would be amazing. That's the one thing. I was like, maybe a couple of years in the future, that would have been slightly better, but who knows.
0: Oh, I'm going to need it coming back from I know, right? You've got a
1: long flight.
0: Okay. So, uh, give us the addresses of everywhere we can. Everywhere, ever. everywhere. Okay, ever.
1: the points so- guy is the points guy, all one word. So, t h e p o i n t s g u y dot com, and you can follow him at the points guy on Twitter or on uh, Instagram. Or on Facebook. <laughs> and um, you can see some of my freelance work at Eric the Epicure, all one word, uh, .blogspot.com. I try to put up uh, my sample clips and stuff like that based on what I'm working on. And you can follow me on Twitter at ericrosenla, E-R-I-C-R-O-S-E-N-L-A,
0: on Twitter and Instagram as well. Boy. I have a feeling you've said that a few times. <laughs> yeah, that right, ready I spell to go. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, man, for coming out. This is this is great. Thank I'm you for glad I finally me. Finally track you down.
1: I know. Thank you. We're in the country at the same time. <laughs> thank you,
0: Eric Rosen, everybody.